0: Hey, y'all. Season two of You Better is proudly affiliated with Brand Builders Group. Brand Builders Group is a collective of personal brand strategists who help people just like you to identify their uniqueness and communicate that in a powerful personal brand. So many people want to brand themselves these days, but the best plan for that starts with a deep understanding of who you are at your core. When you work with Brand Builders Group, you get the clarity you need to build a reputation that's actually true to you. I work with them and they have helped me a ton. So I encourage you to please visit freebrandcall.com slash KG to sign up for a free strategy call with one of their personal brand strategists. Again, that's freebrandcall.com slash KG to sign up for your free call. That slash KG lets them know that I sent you, okay? Let's do this. I'm excited to see what you build. Welcome to You Better a show about personal discovery and love. I'm your host, Keisha Garrison, and I'm on that journey of knowing and loving who I really am every day, just like you. I want you to come face to face with yourself and be proud of what you see. My friend, it's time to do better. It's time to you better. Now let's get to it. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of You Better, where every week we get to hear from someone willing to offer us a small window into their life and the lessons they have learned, all in service of us opening our perspective and perhaps thinking about our own selves with new insight and new questions. Today's guest is someone I admire and appreciate having as an example to learn from. Today's guest is Heather Burris. Heather is multifaceted, and she puts her heart and smarts towards being a beautiful example for her family and towards making the world better. She currently serves as the Immunization Division Chief at the Washington, D.C. Department of Health, which is a huge job that placed her at the center of the storm of COVID vaccine delivery. Heather is also a champion for Black women, particularly Black girls. You know I love that. She is the author of Hair Like Me, a children's story about beauty and confidence inspired by her own daughter. Now, I want to give a content warning because in this episode, Heather and I discuss a time in her life where she had to deal with the loss of her infant son, Braylon. This episode originally is airing on Mother's Day weekend in 2023 as well, which can be a bittersweet time for women who have had to say goodbye to their children. So I want to express some extra love and support to Heather, her family, and the many other mothers who are navigating this tender heart space. I hope you are able to feel seen and draw comfort from Heather's story, but please only consume this content in a time when you are feeling able to do so. And now, it is my complete pleasure to bring you all a bit of life perspective from the very wise Heather Burris. How are you feeling today before I get all in your business? I'm feeling good. I am um,
1: woke up. With just my eyes, not an alarm today, which is always, I know, a good sign that, you know, your body has enough sleep.
0: Years ago, I remember Oprah saying that, and I was like, that sounds right, Oprah. She was like, you shouldn't need an alarm clock to wake up. You shouldn't. thanks, Oprah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. Most days of the week, I'm struggling with Mm -hmm. that alarm clock. But today, didn't have to get up early for church. So I just said, you know, I'm going to set an alarm. When I wake up, I wake up. And it was still within enough time to go to church on time. So,
0: you are adulting well. Congratulations.
1: (laughs) I am. Today.
0: Woohoo. Before I go into the past, I want to ask you who are you today?
1: Who am I today? I I was thinking about this. And um, if I personified myself, I would say I am Mm -hmm. resilience. Um, Resilience personified. I, of course, I'm a mother, I'm a I'm a daughter first, uh, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, child of God, <laughs> all of those titles, pronouns, proper <laughs> nouns, whatever they are, those grammar things. Um, but I think it, if I had to kind of make myself something personified, I would say resilience just from the last few years of my life, I think I've always been strong, but resilience I've thought about more as strong with mm. a purpose because you've either overcome something or you have just battled, you know, and, and fought back and and have come out stronger. Uh, and I think that is me mentally, spiritually and physically, mm. uh, even the, the changes my body has gone through. So resilience personified,
0: that's me today. <laughs> resilience personified. All right, we're going to dig into that. We're going to unpack this resilience a little bit. Now, you, you reference that, just what you've been through in the last several years. Can you share a little bit about like what your resilience has been looking like? What have you had to overcome?
1: Sure. And, well, for most of us, not just me, yeah. we all were battling COVID, right? Yeah. The pandemic 2019. And that was a lot in and of itself. Um, I just happened to be in the role of working at the D.C. Department of Health in the immunization program. Let me tell you,
0: <laughs> I didn't know that until the pandemic started. I didn't know you were working in that in that area of of medicine, and, and I was just like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. She's doing what? I'm worried about sis. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I've been at the health department here in DC for a little bit over five years. Always in immunizations, though, and um, mostly dealing with childhood immunizations. And been a program manager the whole time, and you know, just doing routine things. Uh, we're quiet little industry.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Kids get their shots, go to school, go to the doctor and, and you go little home. And you know, little pertussis, little D-tap, like doctor. all the
0: regulars. Yeah, exactly.
1: Chickenpox, varicella, you know, all of those things. We just make sure everybody got what they need to go to school and, um, and, and get a flu shot. And, and then all of a sudden the COVID came and it was like, we need a vaccine. And literally like the spotlight became on us. I remember when we first all got sent home, I was, there was not much to do immediately. But we knew it was coming. It was like right now they're just trying to control the cases while the vaccine is being built. We didn't know if we were going to get it by the end of the year or not, but that was the speculation was like, get ready just in case. And so that's kind of what our team was preparing for, starting to have a lot of those conversations around the end of that summer. But saying all that to say that was the last two years of that were probably the most demanding points Of my life in my professional experience that I had ever uh, encountered in, in the 12, 15 years that I've been working as an adult, and talk about long hours, long nights, responsibility. Our program was actually going through a leadership change at the time. And so I was asked to lead the program and do all of the things related to the COVID vaccine planning because previously I was just in charge of pediatrics. But everything about our program for children and childhood, those above me, the CDC and HHS and all these people said, this is the exact program we need to replicate to get vaccine across the country to everybody quickly. And so it put all of us (laughs) in the front line to be responsible for this. And so uh, I'll never forget. It was November 5th, 2020. It was a Friday morning and my bosses called me. And said, um, Heather, we're going to ask you to take over the program from your previous manager and lead the COVID vaccine planning team. And what they did not know was also that morning I had taken a pregnancy test oh, and found out that I was pregnant with my third child, my second son. And I just remember all of those emotions at the same time were just like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> And so, you know, the the story went on, and we kind of know the end result with regard to COVID. um, We got the vaccine now. Those first six months were, probably, like they said, the hardest I've ever worked, trying to take care of our citizens, our residents here in the district. But simultaneously, I was growing a child.
0: I was just about to ask you, like going back into what the the human climate was at that time. So many people. I mean, they didn't know what was happening next in terms of like the lay people. They were just thinking, oh, two weeks went by and we not things not back to normal yet. And then it comes this clamoring of why don't people have a handle on this, the judgment, the all the chirping. How how did you as a professional in the center of all of that uncertainty and stress that other people had, how did you handle doing, working harder than you ever worked to get to a result that was something that ended up being replicatable. Like just, it takes so much to stand in the face of all that swirl. You know, it was, it was a tough time
1: for all of us because we were faced with a lot of distractions. There was so much racial unrest and turmoil and then like distrust, I think of government in general (laughs) from previous leadership. And so a lot of people, it it was either you look to us as the expert for all the answers (laughs) to all the questions, or it was the complete opposite. Like you didn't want to hear anything government workers had to say because they were ultimately responsible of messing everything up. So there was no happy medium. I think I just dug into my family a little bit more and. And took it as an opportunity, at least in the first half of the six those six months when we got sent home to practice self care, practice like being inside with the people that I love where I knew I could control the elements and mm-hmm. kind of be more selective. Like talk to who you want to talk to and don't if you don't want to. I was there for a lot of my my friends who were um uh, experiencing different hardships at work because they worked in an environment that was a lot more racially tense, I would say. Um, at the D.C. Department of Health, we had a black director. We had a city with a black mayor, black female mayor. So hey. most of my co-workers were black. We didn't have those strife at work, <laughs> those tensions at work, because we all was black. black. <laughs> so we all kind of felt the same thing. So it wasn't. Bless yeah, you. it wasn't there wasn't on, at DC. least I did not have Come that <laughs> element uh, personally to toil with. So, you know, I just mm. kind of turned inward, turned to those who we we already are close with and trust and um and tried to enjoy the moment. It was it was also hard with school and the kids and trying to do virtual learning. So, you know, I just had to pick your battles I think at that time and just say Today, I've got time for this and I'm going to focus on this. I remember we took a lot of walks in the neighborhood, me and the kids, um, every day when their classes were over Mm -hmm. and just to like get off the screen time. And those were therapeutic, I would say, for me and for them, times that we don't often get back now just to go take a walk in the middle of the day. So, yeah, I tried to make the most of those moments, I would say. Before I knew the vaccine was going to be ready to go and we were going to be put on notice. So I would say from like when we go home, mid-March till around August was inward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Practice your self-care, be with your family, be with those who you love, be selective and and just try to enjoy what you could. There was a lot of nights where me and Brad would just make Hennessy and cokes and watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. just like chill, you know. <laughs> They're trying to just enjoy what we had. Both of our birthdays were during that time and so a lot of zooming with family members and just, you know, being homebodies.
0: Mm. Tuning out the noise, yeah. it's yes, master class and tuning out the noise. Yes. Now, I know we're we're not supposed to be calling <laughs> each other a superwoman anymore you know, we gotta, we gotta check that as black women in this whole, we can withstand anything, come back from anything. But when I think about you getting a new assignment related to the COVID vaccine during this time, at the same time you find out I am also pregnant and you also already have two young children who were doing the virtual school thing. I had the one and I was like, Oh wow, this virtual school thing is about to send me Mm -hmm. in the street screaming. But that to also be in the middle of the of the work to help us all get through this COVID pandemic, I just and then to just see your your calm, (laughs) I am I I am floored at (laughs) because even thinking if anyone has been pregnant before, those very beginning months are exhausting yeah exhausting I I'm like I'm searching for the question right now I'm just in awe like of how you were able to manage your life as a your all of your the different things you had to show up as as a mom as a person working for the government during this really intense time you tuned out the noise but but is there anything else that that really supported you in your steadiness during this time. But hey, I, I did all apart. of the above you
1: know <laughs> for happens. sure. I, I definitely <laughs> had to be steady because the work was so important and important to me. I told somebody it was, it was the hardest work of my life, but it was also the most rewarding work of my life. And so not, I felt a, a huge responsibility to carry that um, and carry it with excellence. And so with the Probably why I did wor- overwork myself in many instances, but I fell apart many times. In the beginning of all of that, it was my third pregnancy. I was over. I was about to turn forty, so I was a little bit concerned. Just how we are up, uh, in upper maternal age, or that how they call it, advanced maternal age.
0: <laughs> yes. They, they call it. Do they call it a geriatric pregnancy after
1: forty? But then, in my, what was that, I guess, beginning of my second tri- trimester, um, at my 20-week appointment, I had um, some interesting findings on the ultrasound that then added, I think, another layer to my stress. And after many tests and specialists, uh found out that my child that I was carrying, my son, was diagnosed with multicystic bilateral kidney disease and that was a Mm. terminal diagnosis or a fatal diagnosis in utero and so then I had a choice to make you know did I want to continue to carry this child or terminate my pregnancy and as if there wasn't enough going on I decided to continue my pregnancy because of my faith really you know because I'm uh, my husband, my, my children, we were very excited about it and, and our family knew and we have a strong support system. And so I thought that we should continue the pregnancy and just let go and let God really. And um, from about February, early March to uh, Braylon was born, May 29th, Memorial Day weekend, became Hard in a different way. By that time, we had gotten most of the vaccine out in terms of eligible groups, except for children. And our leadership had changed a little bit. So we brought on some additional staff to kind of help support me and that team. And so the burden of that kind of became a little bit easier for me. But right as that is when my health was turning, Mm -hmm. you know, to be more challenging with the pregnancy. I was perfectly fine, but Braylon was, was having some issues. And so it was a lot of tears, a lot of questioning, yeah, a lot of trust. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I fell apart. I fell apart often. I was very strong. Brad says this to me. In the moment, I'm very strong. And after the fact, I break down. So I, I don't think I cried at any doctor's appointments. Mm. That's just kind of my nature. I am. I ask questions before I get emotional. I find myself doing that even in other people's hard news. Mm-hmm. It's like I have to process with all of the answers first um, before I kind of let that sink in emotionally. And so there was a lot of questions gathering, fact finding, trying to understand options um, and just really get a clear understanding and then became once I got home and I sat down and I would talk to him about it, then it would just be the tears flowing. And so during those times, I think I had a deeper relationship with God in a, in a different way. There was a whole bunch of people, I would say, in my life who also came closer to me in ways that I didn't expect, um, that I was really grateful for. One of my mm-hmm. very best friends, too, actually were pregnant at the same time. So three of us, one of us was very close. We were about two weeks apart in our due dates. Mm -hmm. And the third one was a few months behind. Um, And so we talked every day (laughs) about our different pregnancy challenges Mm -hmm. and the babies. And they just were so encouraging to me And just being faith partners with me. We read a lot of Bible plan. There's a lot of verses that just were like, Speaking to me, illuminating things that keep me encouraged. But it was hard. It was, it was definitely a, um, an experience that I look back on, and probably get more emotional thinking about how consistent I appeared to be, because <laughs> I know it was not mm. anything but prayer support. And like faith that carried me through. To kind of sum that up, my son passed away a week later on June 5th. uh, After living for seven days, it was really hard those seven days. And while he was alive too, because he was in the NICU the whole time at Children's National here in DC, and Mm -hmm. and, you know just going back and forth. Like you said, I had two kids at home, so trying to recover from a C-section. Um, he was born premature. He ended up coming out at just shy of 35 weeks, uh, so he was a preemie. He had no kidney function, and we were trying to do everything we could to to basically get a, a miracle out of it. And um but then I still had to go home and see the kids, talk to them, and they were excited about their brother and. Yeah. Um, try to manage I think everybody's emotion my therapist always said that um, your family is probably as resilient as you only because of you and how you responded to all of those elements at that time Mm -hmm. so that makes me happy because I didn't want to see them suffer and so, not that I had to be superwoman, but it was important to me that they see that how I processed so that they would have some guidance on how they should process too. Uh, if,
0: if, if it was helpful, and I think it was.
1: Yeah.
0: I saw in something you shared on social media that Brad talked about the piece that you showed and it allowed your family. To have peace, like to follow you. And like you kind of set an example. And when I think about the miracle that Braylon showed you all, I feel mm-hmm. like you are one of the miracles because to be at the center of what has happened, like you had the closest relationship, you have gone through something physically and emotionally, and now you are also standing in your nurturing position with your children your husband your family and being a model of peace for them and resilience like <laughs> you are a miracle <laughs> i would <laughs> add that to the who am i description i am a miracle <laughs> i am um, i think
1: when i look back on it there was a lot of moments where i felt like god was in the details and would just give me a peace about something whether it was a scripture or or some type of time period or timetable that I think he just showed a lot of care to me through other people. So that was helpful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You mentioned all the people that rallied and Braylon was able to show you, like use your words, show you God's love through your community and how your community came. Yeah, that was
1: That was overwhelming. I, I, you know, I, I've always thought of myself as like a giver, a generous person, you know, a caring person. But you don't realize, or maybe people, you take it for granted until it's returned back to you. And that was really overwhelming—the amount of love and support, and phone calls, and text messages, and just generosity in terms of money and finances and Mm -hmm. the things that we suddenly had to pay for. And and then we just had the resources. There was no need to even Mm -hmm. go into debt, do it, go find me or, or anything like go fund me, anything like that. My friends did like put out my different mobile things, but it it, it was just amazing. Um, Mail train and all of those resources. It just... Mm -hmm from work to my social connections and networks to church and family and friends. And it was a lot and it was beautiful and it literally carried us through for sure. Um, so,
0: Do you think it changed the way that you show up in community with other people now after going through that and seeing how people, seeing what helped you? Has it changed those relationships? Yeah. Generally, I'm not a very emotional or sensitive
1: person. Always been pretty analytical and right-brained and (laughs) not so much on the (laughs) emotional sensitive side, but having experience as well as like just seeing how people showed up for us really helped me understand or at least acknowledge how other people what to receive love. And I think certainly with death and, and like grieving experiences for any type of family member, it gave me a whole new sensitivity on how to respond to people and love on them. Um, and I've been able to be kind of a, a friend and resource more to one of my line sisters who, who lost her, her mother. Just being able to share how I overcame some just or or just like stared stuff in the face, you know, like whatever that feeling was. And being able to share that mm-hmm. and then show up for others. This is definitely a difference than it was had I not had that experience and that outpouring of love and support. You just I don't know, you I think you just take it for granted that, you know, my condolences. It is a part of life, for
0: sure. But it yeah. different when you've experienced it. That mm-hmm. you mentioned your therapist. Did you have a therapist as a normal part of your life all before COVID and before your the diagnosis with your pregnancy, or did you get a therapist as part of realizing you were in a really stressful season?
1: It's funny you say that. I I've never had a professional therapist until after Braylon passed away. And I was searching for a grief counselor, Mm -hmm. but everybody was going through so much that they were in high demand, (laughs) Um, ironically. Uh, And so um, I ended up, you know, through different, still are. Oh yeah, they're Still are. And so, but I, I was pretty specific about wanting, you know, a black therapist. And so through some social networks, I ended up finding a therapist who was not specializing in grief. But who just, I felt like I was, like you said, I was going through so many things at the time that I wanted someone that I could process it all with. Plus, I also felt like I wasn't in a grief stricken space anymore by the time I got in my therapist. Like grief is a journey and I think like there's going to be highs and lows to it. But I felt high enough that I didn't need grief only, if that makes sense. So that's when i got my professional therapist mm-hmm. but i but i will say my parents are both counselors and pastors and have been giving me therapy my whole life
0: <laughs>
1: so at the dinner table <laughs> at church over zoom <laughs> over phone calls so I've had a lot of mm-hmm. safe space and conversations to process things over the years. Even I would say I, I realize it is my dad, but mm-hmm. my dad can be a very objective person, whereas mm-hmm. my mom is not so much. <laughs> but um, <laughs> he it So he's always made it a place to, you know, have conversations with him and confide in him as if he was seeing me as a patient. and so. I would say that that was certainly not Mm -hmm. my first time with therapy, but it it for sure my first formal experience with counseling.
0: Wow, do you feel like it's helped?
1: Yes, for sure, helped. Just to have some objectivity and some someone who, because of my faith, I think there's a lot of things that I'll do just naturally, or that you know our spirit. Maybe spirit led, but I think one thing my dad is good at too is while he's a pastor, he doesn't do Christian counseling. And I really wanted that mm. from her to just like tell me the discipline of, you know, psychology or like what the recommendations are, the practice of it. I didn't want the two to mesh, you know what I mean? If that makes sense. Like I wanted, I wanted that, yeah, yeah. real like it does scholarly for lack of a better word advice. So I could kind of think about it in both ways. Uh, and you, and, and you, for me, it always ended up aligning mm-hmm. um, well, but she would help me to realize and think about things in a lo- broader way. I'll say it that way. And so, and a, and a lot of acceptance, because I yeah. think so much in your faith is about overcoming or like I had somebody tell me, well, we know where Braylon is, you know, so he's in heaven and, and so that is enough. And while I agree, it still hurts. You know what I'm saying? And I need somebody who's yeah. not going to tell me yeah. what the Bible says yeah. about that. <laughs> I just yeah. need you to tell me how to look in the mm-hmm. mirror No, it's totally... and deal with this feeling because I'm angry. And I know eventually I will, mm. my faith will supersede, but I, but even in this natural flesh that we all have, <laughs> how are we going <gotta> to deal?
0: <laughs> yes. Talking about the psychology of how humans be in, in this flesh, like you said, I love the way you phrased that is another layer of information that is different from you know, spirituality and what scripture says, I think that it's really powerful that you just shared that because there are people who avoid therapy thinking I already have church home or I have my spirituality, I have my faith. And they don't recognize the layer of knowledge and guidance and support that talking to a therapist could add to their lives.
1: Totally. Um, that's a whole nother conversation for another day, but mm-hmm. <laughs> being raised in church and just the the layers of that sometimes faulty thinking. I like to say, if God can gift you or you know LeBron James with the talent, let's just say, to be the greatest basketball player, don't you think he can give somebody the skills to, to help you through your natural issues? Don't you think he can give somebody the science behind the brain and thinking Mm -hmm. that's going to be just as skilled and beneficial for your life. There's room for all of that in in heaven Mm. (laughs) or, or, you know, in your faith, there's room for you for us to trust the intelligence that he's, he's Mm. given us and also have, you know, a direct connection with him and your relationship with God based on your faith. So they go hand in hand. Don't, they don't have to be substituted. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm, a word. I want to ask you about another aspect of your mothering because mm-hmm. yeah, you be going big, Heather. You go big. <laughs> I want to talk about the book. I want to talk about Hair Like Me. Yeah. <laughs> hold right. that up because you know I have it. My little sign copy because you know, <laughs> flex on y'all. No. <laughs> uh, I have the best picture of my daughter when she got the book, reading it with her puffs out yes. overhanging of the book. So I'm like, I love that. So, Hair Like Me, this is a book that you wrote after having an experience with your baby girl, Autumn. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna let you tell the story of the experience that inspired you to put pen to paper and write a book about a little black girl and her <laughs> her princess hair her princess hair <laughs> yeah so
1: previous to like all the last several years you know your life goes like this sometimes i had this experience that completely just took off blew my mind at that point <laughs> in a good way but um when autumn was uh, four four or five years old uh, attending our school here in DC public charter school, very diverse, but had a good amount of you know young little white girls in her class who were giving her just different hair experiences. Mm. And at the time, I was I've been natural for since college really, but I always would um, straighten my hair, so I do a lot of press outs and um, flat irons and all that. And one day Autumn watched me um, wash and style my hair and I was flat ironing it. And she, um, Autumn didn't have much hair when she was a baby. She always had a little baby Afro. She told me she wanted princess hair like mine. And I was like, you know, at that age, you're four or five, you just want to do everything your mom does. And um, mm-hmm. I hated it. I hated that she said that. I remember telling Brad, like, she told me princess hair. And I had heard at her school from some other moms that there was this test. If you had princess hair, you could put, pull your hair and pull it in your mouth. And, of course, we know who can huh. do that more times than not because their hair is out and straight. And that was the test of princess hair. And so I, wow. when she said that, it immediately triggered me to have, oh, they're having this conversation at school. And I told Brad, and he said, well, then you got to stop straightening your hair so much. And so I did. I just said, uh, all right, that's it. And I remember the last time I straightened my hair was, uh, that was actually going to my mother's 70th birthday party. And uh, I came back and then I started doing twist outs and all these things. And it was, I wasn't liking how I was looking. And and I said, you know what, for my birthday, I'm going to cut my hair off like Autumn's hair. (laughs) I just didn't even really think about it. I was like, I might as well try it and, you know, grow it out natural because it's just had so many years of being trained to be straight from from flat ironing mm-hmm. and so I stopped straightening it I that was around February or March so by May my birthday is April 28th so by Mother's Day um I had made a hair appointment I had a good amount of new growth so I figured it'll probably be cute we'll see and I cut it <laughs> and I just remember the feeling that I had in the chair at the salon mm. when they turned me around was so freeing, but mm. anxious at the same time. Like, And I remember thinking, why am I feeling this way? Like, why is this so remarkable that I would have such strong feelings about changing my look this much? but also the, the liberation that came from it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I ended up getting my hair done, loved it, and took a picture and posted it on social media. And at the time, if I had had a viral post, that was probably it. Because I just talked about all those feelings and what <laughs> led me to it. <laughs> and so many people like reshared it and all these things. And then two of my moms in um, Jack and Bill were like, you should tell that story like you should write it down and, and tell that story. That would be a phenomenal children's book. No, no, what, I'm not an author. I don't know how to do that. And they're like, no, really, you should. And I said. And I ironically, uh, now I don't think it's ironic. I think it was all just align alignment. I had a friend at my church who um, was trying to be an illustrator. She's a Latina. Friend, uh, we had been pregnant together, so our kids were close in age. And she was telling me about this company she was launching because she wanted to. She was a stay-at-home mom, and she was tired of reading books that didn't have enough children of color and and the illustrations. And so she had started this Kickstarter um, because she wanted to publish her own book. And I remember seeing this, and I thought, "That's I love that. Like I love that about her um, and her goal." And so anyway, all this came together and I reached out to her and I said, Ariel, would you be interested in illustrating this book? I have an idea for it. And I told her and she was like, 100%, I would love to be a part of this. Um, so I was her second book. <laughs> wow. We worked together. I wrote the story down. My sister, uh, Ashley, who's also a creative, not I should say also, she is the creative. I am just... <laughs> I can be creative, but she is the creative in our family. And I was like, Ash, read this and tell me what you think where I should edit it down. And so she did. And and we drafted a a manuscript. Um, And then I just kind of dug in. I remember it became like my second job trying Mm. to figure out how to publish this passion project, what children's books looked like, the style, the pages, you know story writing. Uh, I started going to workshops. I signed up for this association. I just really dug in. Also Ariel's credit. She started really helping me understand this world a little bit better. And so by 20, by mother's day, actually 2019. So one year later from the haircut experience, I had hair like me self-published and released. And that was a magical year. (laughs) It was it was m- much more than I ever imagined it being. I ended up starting a small business, um, became an entrepreneur, as they call us, to self-publish the book, learned how to do so many things um, as far as story writing and storytelling and running a small business with direct sales, like all these things that I just had no real desire, but it became like a challenge that I loved. And, um, and then started going on speaking engagements, which was the other thing that I didn't plan or anticipate. People wanted to see the book and wanted me to come speak about it. So I was doing school readings, different uh, book events, direct sales in different Mm. cities. And it was so fun. And, um, now I would say that was going into 2020 the hair love story came out that was pu- published by matthew cherry and um mm-hmm. why am i blanking on her name the illustrator that i love uh she they they also by them like getting that i think that oscar nod like that kind of took yeah, the story up yeah it was all around the same time and so it was like all eyes were just on black hair Children, girls' empowerment, and it was just a really cool space and time to be doing that work, and it just literally blew my mind. On one, the need for just more diverse images in children's books. Um, I, I gained a new, a lot of new knowledge and appreciation for kid lit, children's literature, and the need for more images of kids of color, black characters, um, and not just in books, but on TV in animation. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was a, it was a phenomenal time. And then COVID hit and I felt like the train stopped a little bit (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then my, you know, the rest of the story with my life, but it, the, the great thing about all of that, I would say the experiences that the book is, has been so magnetic really that at least every Black History Month, someone has asked me. I just did a book event a couple of weeks ago, and people still love the book and they're still sharing the book. I get tagged and stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just I love that because I just really want it to be something that because it happens nonstop, right? Just because my child got this older and autumn's nine, there's gonna be another three, four year old mm-hmm. who's gonna go through the same thing. And so, to have that out there in the world for parents and, and children as a ready resource just warms
0: my heart. I love it. So,
1: yeah, that was, yes. that's the hair like me story. <laughs> <sighs>
0: well, th- there are so many parts of that that could be a whole episode of this <laughs> song as well. One of the things that's so remarkable to me about all of what you just said is that that moment of discomfort and the feelings you felt when when Autumn said that to you. Like that woman in that moment who had those feelings, she didn't know all of this was coming. I had no idea. Like, you, you took that uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. And then because of the decisions that you made of how you were going to engage with that uncomfortable feeling, this incredible experience then unfolded. That is magical. That
1: is, it was magical. Seriously. It was magical. It was, More than I ever imagined um, it being, I think the, and I wrote in here, like me, like a a, a dear reader letter in the beginning. And and one thing that I think I just took from this experience was like, there's going to be moments in parenting where you really have to show up for your children. And Mm -hmm. uh, at least if you want them to have a positive response about a negative experience and, and to turn that around for them. And that really struck me because I knew what I had experienced growing up in Seattle, um, literally in Bellevue, uh, which is the even more white suburb of the city, um, 20, 30 years that ago. <laughs> and so I just felt I remember the things that I did and I put it in the book kind of, you know, in a funny way. But the things that I did around hair growing up, I had a perm very young. I had no business having a perm in my hair at that age. And just the ways that I tried to blend, I think growing up, I did not want that for her. And knowing that we lived here in a very different environment, I knew I could show that to her. And that's one thing that I've tried to be, like I've taken, you know, looked back on my child and said, how can I do this differently? How can I show up for her differently Mm -hmm. so that her experience is not like what I experienced? And it's been going good so far, but it, it, but it, it was a moment where I really wanted to not, I don't want to say challenge parents, but really remind them, like, if you see something or you hear something, stand up for it, make the decision then like, nope, we're stopping that right now Mm -hmm. and feel empowered Mm -hmm. to be the example for your children, not just show them examples, but they look to you Mm -hmm. at that age.
0: Be the example. Be the
1: example for them. They literally look to you. They want to do everything you do. They are your shadow.
0: (laughs) So the parents often, like you said, trying to let me show you something. Let me let me tell you that your hair is beautiful. Let me tell you you don't have to it could be many things, diet this way or wear this kind of makeup, but they're looking at how you treat yourself. Absolutely. And how you embody your personhood and taking cues Cues. from you. So that be the example. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I've always had
1: a, a strong sense of confidence, and I wanted them to have that same strong sense of confidence. So I'm like, well, this is what it's going to be. You're going to see it, then you're going to see it in me first. And uh, I think it's changed Autumn for sure for the better, certainly in terms of how she feels about her hair, but even how she you know, so she was famous for a little while, had a, you know, <laughs> the cover of a book mm-hmm. and her classmates were like, like, baby, I you have a book look about you. And so gave her a lot of, y'all light. need to get like
0: me, hair like me. <laughs> <Autumn>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like me. Uh, it gave her a good sense of confidence in more than just about her hair, but just about how to be a leader really, um, in her classroom. And, and even uh, a business savvy because at one point she was trying to sell everything like can we sell this
0: <laughs> <laughs> can we sell She's this like I'm enterprising she, she, then she saw started a lot. writing she saw how an idea becomes she started smart. writing her own books yeah. too so it, it
1: sparked a lot of things for sure that I didn't expect that were great great mm, results
0: that's a, a great moment for people to process what do I do with my discomfort what do I turn it into mm I wanted to ask you about young Heather. What do you think that you as like a middle schooler, a 13 year old would think about who you are today? Oh man, I, (laughs) I
1: was, (laughs) I was boy crazy in middle school. (laughs) I was boy crazy and trying to fit in. I was raised in the church so much. I was, you know, I'm, I'm of that age where, you don't get to sleep at your friend's house growing up. You don't get to, you know, hang out at parties like they did. I didn't get invited to the bar mitzvahs, <laughs> you know, no. like that. I was, I was over here uh, at church on Tuesday night. And um, so I think it was a lot of trying to fit in and assimilate uh, in middle school. Mm. Um, and. So now I would say that girl would probably be shocked <laughs> at how I am how I don't care about
0: hey
1: yeah others others perceptions I'm not a people pleaser I am very confident you know maybe shocked and proud I would say shocked and proud for her to see me now and see the family that we have built in the hard work that those early science classes paid off Mm. in in terms of a professional career and and you know, just moving in different levels of of that and the types of work that I've done over the years. So I think she would be shocked and shocked and happy at my growth and that I literally just could care less what other people think. About so many things.
0: Unbothered.
1: <laughs> unbothered. Yes, yes unbothered.
0: Mm. What will it look like for you to to be to continue being full strength, Heather, going forward? That, I like to call that the "you better." To I don't like to say, "Oh, to be a better you." It's like not that. Yeah. To you better going forward. Um, I think to
1: one thing I'm working on now that I that I hope will help me be me better is learning how to prioritize and continue to consider myself first. There are Mm. a lot of things that I say yes to. And sometimes to my own health detriment, you know, just being tired or just being overworked or overrun. And so you better, for me, looks like practicing no, the art of saying no and remembering to prioritize myself if that means self-care if that means relaxation girl taking a nap mm. <laughs> caring about my health and rewarding myself also i think there was a, a good season before i got married and kids where if i wanted that thing i buy it and now i'm yes. like mm, i can't buy that or if i bought it i feel guilty mm. Because there was probably 10 other things that I probably could have spent that on. And I don't like feeling like that. I want to feel good about rewarding myself and prioritizing myself so that I can continue to be in a place where I can be of service to others. And you can't do it well if you're not taking care of yourself. And um, I think part of that was shown to me when I was going through my pregnancy, how hard I was working at work. And and not that I missed any doctor's appointments or anything, but that is one thing I, I think about is like, you know, was I resting enough? Probably not. Mm. Did that in any way contribute to my fetal development? I'll never know. One of the questions I might ask God when I get to heaven. <laughs> but, mm. you know, just being able to remember like, You're no good to others when you're down. And if you're not doing it, something will set you down. So better to take care of yourself before you're forced to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. in many ways. So that's what you better looks like to me, prioritizing myself, prioritizing my time and doing things Mm -hmm. that I want to do more than I have in the past.
0: Yes, yes. And you were the only human on the entire earth who has all the information about what you need. There is no one else on earth who has all the info. It's all inside of you. So you have to be the one to take the reins on caring for yourself. It's so um, true. Other people can join you in it, but they don't have all the information. It's true. Yeah. You know how tired you feel. Don't
1: deny it. I knew uh, I, I serve at my church, too, and they asked me to, and when I when I do serve, I have to be at church at 745 on a Sunday, and just because last week I was, well. still, yes, right, so last week I was sick, um, so I, I canceled, and then the week before, Autumn had a chair competition, and then two weeks before that, she had another chair competition, and so my kids hadn't been to church with me probably since, like, early January. And that's important to me. So I got a request to serve two Sundays in a row. It was going to be today and it was going to be next Sunday. And I love serving, but something just said, you need to decline one <laughs> and take your kids to church. Cause that's mm. more important. You know, you get all your points for serving up in heaven, right? But what about your, your family? And so I declined. And, and then it was like, I was thinking, do I have to put a reason because um, you get a decline, you an optional reason. <laughs> is somebody going to ask you why? No. They don't need to know why. It don't matter. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. Nope. It doesn't matter. And the world is not going to fall down if there's four people serving instead of five on the team, you know? Mm-hmm. And so telling myself that. And so I declined. I did not put a reason. <laughs> I went to church today. <laughs> I slept in. I got my kids and we all went to church and it was a beautiful service. And I felt so good about that decision after the fact. Like, I'm so glad I, I did that. I listened to me and I accepted the one for next week. So I will still, will still serve. But I didn't want to do that two weeks in a row and feel a different type of way. So doing more of that. It's a little small, yeah. simple example, but it's like prioritizing what's important for you, ranking that. It's important to serve, but it's important for your family to be in service, too.
0: Well, wish you all the best in living out those priorities and continuing to be the wonderful woman that you are. Thank you so much, Heather, for sharing your stories with me here on You Better.
1: Thank you for having me and for thinking of me. I am... So excited to just watch you blossom and do this. And I just wanted to be a part of it. I was honored that you would ask me. So thank you for having me.
0: I thank Heather so much for offering her experiences for us to learn from. I just find her to be such an inspiring person and in how she walks in faith, celebrates life, and in her consciousness about how she models her values for those around her. The example she sets for her family reverberates through to all the people who know her and we get to be better for it. It's helpful for me to learn that she's had the benefit of parents who were counselors, both of them. And she gives her dad the extra nod of being able to be pretty objective. It's helpful to see the things that go into someone being so grounded, so unbothered in the best ways. So there is so much to learn from what Heather shared today, but I'll just talk about a few of the things that... I'm still sitting with one. I appreciated the well-rounded approach she took to therapy. I think this was particularly powerful to hear from her, given her perspective as a Christian woman, how she intently sought out therapy professionals that could add a layer of support in addition to what she could get from scripture. Cause there is room for brain and body science and insight on how to navigate life in this human flesh that people have been blessed with the knowledge to share. Don't block these blessings trying to appear more devout. Also, I loved our conversations about taking cues from discomfort, letting it change your life. There could very well have been different versions of the hair like me story. You know, instead of going the route that she went, Heather could have led her daughter to assimilate or she could have simply pointed to someone in a magazine and said, look, look how beautiful that person is. But Heather took that cue That uncomfortable comment that her daughter made and turned it into a moment where she could say to her child, Not only are you enough, we are enough, and we are going to live this together and shout it to the world. And it completely brought her all of these new experiences and new skills in the sharing of that story with all of us through her book, Hair Like Me. I thought that that was incredible. In a different but similar vein, I think about how when Heather was going through her grieving process, And her community showed up for her in such full strength, how that painful period of her life brought her new lessons. And she was able to take her understanding of how to show up for people from that and now has incorporated it into how she moves forward and how she shows up for other people. So being able to learn from life's uncomfortable moments, life's hard, difficult, painful moments think is a real skill to be able to find something useful out of these moments and turn it into whatever you can. So I appreciated hearing about those things. And finally, I want to add to Heather's note about prioritizing herself. She highlighted, among many other things, that you are no good to others if you don't prioritize yourself. And I want to add to this an encouragement to practice prioritizing yourself just because you matter. Separate from any desire to be in good shape to serve others, rest just because your organs and muscles need time to restore themselves from the strenuous work of living. Rest because your brain needs an opportunity to process your experiences and imagine new possibilities. Rest because your intuition needs space to speak to you. You need time to restore yourself and you need your peace. You need you. So let yourself matter. All right. I'm going to include in the show notes a link to purchase Heather's book, Hair Like Me. I encourage you to grab that book for not just young people in your life, but perhaps even parents who would benefit from seeing an example of someone being an example for their children. And with that, I hope you learned something today that will help you to you better. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you found value in this episode, share it with a loved one. That's the main way we keep the show going and growing. And please leave a rating and a review for me. Let me know what's on your mind. All right. I'll see you next week.